Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Road to Atlanta, a podcast solely devoted solely to the Braves Farm System and Braves Prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on Talking Chop, the Talking Chop podcast, and on the Twitterverse at Leprechaun with a K. We're back. Um, it has been a bizarre 2020 season for us, uh, the minor league team over at Talking Chop, where we're used to cranking out content every single day, doing daily recaps, and we had no minor league baseball this year, and it made it really a challenge for us from a content perspective, uh, at least for, to be honest. Um, I, we could have just like you know like, talked about like what guys are moving up and down our lists and who's on the rise and all that stuff, but I don't think that'd be particularly honest because if we're just being fair, there was just so little information that was coming out about the guys at the alternate site, guys who weren't there. Um, you know, you hear whispers here and there, but even the ones that we were getting were a bit kind of conflicting at times. So instead we kind of wanted to make sure that we weren't spreading too much mis- misinformation about this farm system, which means there's going to be a lot of mystery and intrigue going into the next season. But we have missed talking about minor league baseball. And with some changes and some news that have come out recently, uh, I decided to grab – Almost the whole band. We couldn't get Wayne Cavati on the show tonight because he is not feeling particularly well. But joining me, we have Garrett Spain. Garrett, say hi. What's up? I've got Matt Powers as well. You can follow him on Twitter at MattPowers31. What's going on, Matt? Uh, not much. Just excited that we had some kind of baseball today with that Rule 5 draft. Oh, absolutely. I mean, with the draft and the, the news that we've had, we've actually get to talk about something. And last but certainly not least, we have Gaurav Vidak. You can follow him at GVDAC. Gaurav, what's going on, buddy? Just really excited to be talking baseball again. Yeah, we, we, we talk every day. I think it's kind of an important thing for our listeners to understand that even when you're not seeing us, like I haven't been as active on Twitter, mainly because it's kind of a cesspool uh, right now, but also it's just kind of you know, once the season, the, the regular season ended for Major League Baseball, it's a good time to take a break from, you know, detach oneself from social media. Uh, and I'm popping, I'll pop in here and there. But even when I'm not tweeting or whatever, you know, all of us are constantly chatting with each other about whether it be the minor leagues, the draft, amateur baseball, whatever. So we've kind of, we've been kind of being able to scratch this itch, itch. But the one thing we really haven't been able to do is really dig into minor league baseball because there just hasn't been that much to talk about. Um, you know, we can talk a little bit about, you know, what affiliates were being cut and which ones weren't, but that even would have felt like an incomplete discussion until today because we knew that Danville was going to be gone. We knew that was going to happen, uh, and it's really, really sad simply because, you know, like Nick, we've had Nick Pierce on the show. He was, he's a friend of the show. We really have a lot of affection for the Danville folks in kind of terms of what they were able to accomplish there, and, you know, it was a long-running affiliate, and we knew they were going to go. ECL was kind of going to get phased out with all the talks about tra- contraction uh, and how rookie ball was going to work. So we knew those were changes were going to happen, but we didn't know how the low minors were really going to work. We were felt pretty confident that Rome was going to be in the mix. We just didn't know exactly where. We know we we 
had a good feeling that Florida Florida wasn't going to be the high A affiliate anymore uh, for a number of reasons. You know, chief among them is that they didn't have a stadium to play in anymore, um, and that you know Mississippi and Gwinnett were probably unlikely to change. But we got finally got that news. We finally know what everything's going to look like. Because yesterday, Major League Baseball sent out its invitations to. I think it ended up only being 119 affiliates. I think there's like a Colorado Rockies affiliate that's still a little bit a little bit wonky in terms of what they're going to be, how they're going to be competing and all that. So it's not like completely ironed out, I guess. And I know there's some stuff regarding league composition because you know the, the same league that Rome is playing in uh, also has like a team from Fishkill, New York, in it. And you know you can do divisions, but the divisions aren't like completely evened out yet. So not all these details are ironed up, but we do know that it's going to be the Augusta Green Jackets that are going to be the low A affiliate, which is going to be a, a pretty significant change on a number of levels for the low A. Rome is being moved up to high A, which means we're actually going to have a high A affiliate that is an easy driving distance for three of us uh, and is certainly a better destination for any person on planet Earth uh, to go watch baseball than the Florida Fire Frogs, uh, also known as the rain, delay capital, the rain out capital of the world. Uh, and then Mississippi remains in double-A, and then the Gwinnett Cypress remain the triple-A affiliate. Uh, Garrett, I'm going to start with you first. Kind of, once we saw these change finally, changes finally rolled out, what was your, like, first reaction? And, like, you know, and also, what are you really kind of looking forward to now that we have these changes in place? I mean, I'm just excited that we have another team close. I mean, that was the first thing that jumped out, you know, was just having a team that we can, A, go watch and go see play and to a team that's on, you know, all of our teams other than, you know, obviously complex ball are going to be on MILB TV now. So, you know, for what, two, three years, we had a entire league, an entire level that was just a complete blackout. Now we can go in and we can keep watching these guys and follow that progression a lot easier. And I think that's the biggest thing for me was being able to follow the guys that we need to follow and, you know, go see them in person instead of, you know, going to see them in person and watching zero games because seven of them get rained out. It's, it's, it's a good change and I'm excited about it. Um, you know, I'm a little obviously disappointed in general. I've made my thoughts known. You know, I'm disappointed in general at the way the minor league contraction was handled, but hopefully going forward, we can see it be a positive change that improves the facilities for everybody and improves the players' pay. And I think that it'll be a, I'm hoping that it'll be a good change for everybody. All right, Matt, we're going to throw it to you next because I, and I want to echo all those things. Um, the, the biggest thing for me was just, I mean, We've seen guys, like, entire lives upended by all, a lot of these changes uh, from 2020. Uh, we're close to a lot of folks, especially in Rome uh, and Mississippi, and to see kind of how tough it's been on them uh, has been kind of the toughest thing for there was no minor league baseball this year. And these changes are just going to kind of compound some of those issues. Matt, what, what kind of what were your first thoughts and kind of what are you looking forward to the most? A lot of the same as Garrett. I mean, obviously it sucks that we're losing – so much minor league baseball, so many teams and cities that have had such a long history in the minor leagues with teams and players, and they've done so much with so many former and current great players, and now they're just out of affiliated baseball together at this point without any true path to having that attraction. I mean, yeah, they have independent ball, how many people is that 
going to draw where you're not going to be seeing the future stars of the game. It's just not quite the same. I mean, at least uh, the teams like Danville, which it still sucks for them, and I, I feel horrible, but at least they're going to be included in something that you can see a future star of tomorrow in uh, that Wood Bat League or uh, like the New York Penn League with that draft league that's coming up. So I, I thought at least some of those cuts that happened weren't as bad as they could have been, like some of those teams that are just forced to play an independent ball. But it, it sucks. Um, obviously, losing Florida in general, I found that as a positive. It just wasn't yep, big a good win, site. big win. <laughs> it, it was not a good site, not good facilities, team did whatever they could to avoid sending player, good players there for any length of time. Uh, now you're actually going to be able to use all four of your full season affiliates. Uh, the Augusta team is in a nice city, a close city, uh, good tradition and history of the franchise in a very new stadium for how stadiums go. I mean, the last five years, I want to say it opened. So... You're, you're adding that, obviously, the MILB TV, so you have more ability to watch that. And not just that, with the whole Florida State League being gone, which was what kept the MILB TV out of a lot of those stadiums, you're going to be able to see a lot more games overall televised. So more access to prospects is just better all around. But outside of the bad of the cutting, of the teams, it's been an all positive for me. Just, I wish they were able to keep more baseball. Yeah, I think that they've done a reasonable job at kind of keeping as many teams afloat and relevant as possible uh, with this reorganization. But, I mean, again, it's kind of how minor league baseball had to function this past year combined with all the uncertainty of going in the next year. I wish this would kind of been handled a little earlier. And so that way people could kind of plan their, their, their career prospects and things like that. But from, for our perspective, I mean, that makes the, the, the furthest affiliate away for us is Mississippi. And for me, I'm on the West side of Georgia. Like that's still fairly doable and I need to get out there anyway uh, to see a friend of the show, Chris Harris, uh, shouts to Chris, who has messaged me a few times about uh, possibly changing our in- changing our intro, uh, which I do actually need to do, um, and possibly using him in order to do so, just get some fresh, just get some fresh audio uh, in there. So, but um, that makes it it's a lot easier to get to. Um, going to Augusta is going to be really neat. I'm going to do my best to actually head out that way at some point, just to meet out with uh, David Lee, uh, who's doing his own prospect work on his newsletter. Make sure you sign up for his uh, email newsletter. He does a really good job on the minor leagues, uh, kind of really analyzing and doing deep dives on video and things like that. Uh, Garav, I mean, we were kind of, ha- you were kind of watching this happen in real time on social media and you were kind of reacting as kind of what, what we were going to be happy about and what you're kind of looking forward to. What's your kind of general thought process about these changes and what are you looking forward to? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, the, the most disappointing thing is the loss of a lot of careers for a lot of potential players, right? There's a lot of uh, a lot of careers that unfortunately are, are being stopped on this kind of level and, you know, you always hate to see it. Just like any of us, we hate to see any prospect not pan out. Uh, so that's obviously the most unfortunate thing. Um, 
you know, on our side of things, I think it's been pretty well said. We have access to a whole new team in the state of Georgia itself. Uh, I can't really add on too much, but I will say I've already had one prospect reach out to me and ask how far it is from home plate to the water behind uh, the stadium over in Augusta. So we might have some interesting BP. So if you're out there and you got fans in the stands, I would probably see if I can stand outside the stadium uh, before uh, Augusta takes the field. Yeah, I imagine there's going to be a certain amount of uh, pulling of the ball and see if they can put, park the ball out there because – Let's just say that it's going to be a really funny meme on social media if we can, if that actually can happen. So, um, Garov's point is a good one, is that it's not just minor league staff, um, you know, whether it be play-by-play guys or, you know, just clubhouse attendants, front office personnel that this affected, you know, or the seasonal employees for that matter. A whole bunch of players are going to get cut, you know, and they're the, and they already have been cut. And they're the kind of the guys that filled out the numbers on short season rosters. And we're probably going to see more of that now that we've kind of have it settled as to how many teams there's going to be. And with the draft league, that seems it's going to be very specifically for, you know, guys that are in amateur ball to kind of showcase their talents uh, before the draft, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not like these guys can be picked up super easily. Um, but it also changes kind of the outlook for the draft because I can't imagine that the draft go, I mean, the next, next year's draft is going to be 20 rounds and I will be shocked if the draft, going forward exceeds that a number of players because you don't have to fill out all those affiliates anymore. Um, and, you know, maybe you start to see less players getting taken on the international market um, to kind of fill out a lot of those, again, a lot of those lower leagues. That's what a lot of those IFA signings, the ones that are particularly cheap, those are the guys that play in the GCL, play in Danville, and then you never hear from them again. So does that impact the IFA market? Does that impact the, the draft and kind of how you look at your your signings, you know, on the second or third day, you know, does this change the draft strategy? It's, it's a fascinating thing, you know, objectively to kind of see how, what these changes are going to impact how organizations run their development programs. And the, and we're not done seeing the changes I think is the most important thing. Now for the Braves, they already owned, you know, they own Gwinnett, they own Mississippi and they own Rome. So these were already team owned, affiliates that we felt like weren't going anywhere and now that there's Augusta and that's a kind of a pretty good fit you know with them right there in the state of Georgia it kind of allows for a certain amount of team control um there was certainly a little bit of noise talking about Northport being an option um for being a low A team but you know I think that getting out of the state of Florida was probably the right move and just kind of keeping that as a spring training facility and a rehab facility was the correct choice but it's kind of wild. I mean, there's not going to be any point this coming year where we just to kind of a, a look behind the curtain. We get really excited when minor league recaps start back up. Uh, and a little, little into the major league season, we got to talk about major league, minor league baseball. What we do kind of dread a little bit is when it goes from four games to six games plus for a couple of reasons. And that was with Danville and the GCL one, because it's just more content and two, because if it's six games, there's also six chances for there to be like double headers, and with Florida on the docket, it became re- like there was recaps where you'd have like seven, eight, nine games. Uh, I don't know. Who, I had I had a fair number of them. I think Garrett got dinged for a few. Grov, I think, kept getting lucky. He he was the one that kept getting the rainouts. I was lucky but, as hell. I was. So yeah. Lucky. <laughs> I mean, I think everyone got dinged a little bit, but I got nailed uh, a few times with like nine game slates, and it was brutal to do recaps of. So again, there's pluses and minuses from a coverage perspective, uh, and also allows us to kind of focus in on specific teams 
Um, you know, again, the points have been made are good ones about, you know, MILB TUE that even if like, you know, if I am not on site or even if I'm on site, but there's, you know, a lull in the action, I can always tune in and I can watch what's going on in Augusta, presumably, or I can, you know, go and switch to any of the affiliates. I'm not, there's no, there's not a blind spot of video beyond the technological limitations that exist in some of these stadiums. And that's, and I think that's going to be overall good for coverage. Uh, is it good for organizational health and organizational tips? I don't actually know the answer to that question. I think there's going to be some pluses and some minuses and some growing pains. And I think that the teams that adjust to these, uh, these, uh, minor league changes are going to be, be able to garner a significant advantage. But overall, you know, for coverage wise, I feel really good about kind of being able to spread the load, uh, evenly without having to kind of just, you know, rely on, you know, radio calls that are, you know, barely audible and hoping that they're correct. Um, uh, in the case of, you know, Florida, just kind of not being able to see anything at all and just kind of having to rely on third and fourth hand accounts about how guys look and things like that. We, we prefer just to use our own eyes on these things. So there are certainly some positives to take from this, but I don't want to, you know, again, the, the minor league attraction overall a lot of these changes impacted a lot of people's lives and frankly a lot of people that we care about. So, you know, we're thinking of them too. And, you know, it really stinks to kind of the heavy handed way that the league handled, uh, minor league baseball, you know, and how minor league baseball is kind of some of these changes regarding, you know, facilities and things like that, you know, have probably changes that need to happen. So overall, like there's just kind of a kind of a crummy way to think about how this was handled on both sides, but hopefully this ends up being for the better for everyone involved. Um, so that was kind of the big news yesterday. Whereas that, you know, again, we have a new, we have new affiliate structure for the Braves. Low A is going to be the Augusta Green Jackets. High A goes to the Rome Braves and the Mississippi Braves at double A as per usual and the Gwinnett Stripers. Um, we're going to take a short break to, to, for a word from our sponsors. And when we get back, we are going to be talking some rule five draft before we sign off, uh, and, uh, kind of end this thing end this return for the, of the road to Atlanta. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, guys, and we're back, and we're going to talk a little bit of Rule 5 draft. Um, for those who aren't aware, the Rule 5 draft is essentially a way to prevent teams from stockpiling guys in the minor leagues without putting them on the 40-man roster. Um, the, generally, the, and again, it's, it has to do with what the, the age in which they sign with an organization. It's either five years if they were under the age of, eight, uh, under the age of 19, I believe. They, if they're five years in the organization, they have to either be put on the 40-man roster or added to the Rule 5, or and if it's over that date, then it's four years. I don't remember the exact date, but the short version is if you're after after a certain period of time, four to five years, and you're in the minor leagues, you either become eligible for the Rule 5 draft or you're added to the 40-man roster, which is when you hear a lot of people talking about being protected on the 40-man roster. The Braves did so with Kyle Muller. Um, that was the only guy that was really of consequence that, that was going to possibly be picked in the Rule 5 draft this year. And, and if you if you draft someone in the Rule 5, you, like, you pay him, like, it, it, you literally pay the team that that own them just a, like 
like a few tens of thousands of dollars. And if you decide not to keep them, you have to offer them back to that team for half that price. It's, you know, there's, there's some little idiosyncrasies, but it's a cheap way to potentially get talent. You know, and we've seen really good players get selected. Jose Batista famously, uh, our own Indurance Yarte, who seemingly won't go away. Uh, he was a rule five drafter, a draftee. Um, you know, and there, you know, Johan Santana was another one. Um, these are all guys who are really went on to really, really good careers. But generally speaking, what has happened in recent years anyway is this is where you get cheaper levers. Um, so uh, I'm actually going to throw it to Matt because Matt was on coverage duty regarding the Rule 5 draft. Uh, I had very low expectations that there was going to be anyone taken from the Braves. Uh, I wasn't sure about whether they'd be taking players in the, the draft portion itself, and they didn't take any in the major league portion, but – Matt, I'm going to throw it to you first. Uh, they did take some players in the Meyer League portion uh, where they don't have to add these players to the 40-man roster to keep them. So talk a little bit about those three players, and, and we can kind of throw up to Garav and uh, Garrett after that. All right, yeah, I was kind of uh, half surprised that they didn't select anybody in the big league portion, uh, cheap reliever, because there were some relievers with potential. But – and they did have two open roster spots, but uh, I guess they have other plans for those spots. Uh, so after they passed on the major league portion, they ended up using three picks in the minor league portion. And it just so happens that all three guys picked were very highly drafted in their individual drafts. Uh, the first pick was A.J. Puckett, a right-handed pitcher originally from Pepperdine. Uh, was drafted by the Royals and eventually traded to the White Sox in a Melky Cabrera trade. Uh, he's a guy that did not really have much of a track record at Pepperdine, despite the fact that he was taken in the second round, late second round, I believe, or was that the early second round? Uh, it was in the mid sixties where he was picked, but, um, he had a decent showing in the Cape. The summer before his second year in college where he didn't really pitch long and the numbers weren't great, but the stuff looked good. And then he came back that next year and his first year ever on the college level as a starter, he just dominated something like a one, two, five ERA and a sub one whip over the course of the full season in the rotation. Just, it almost said nowhere. I mean, he was a big projectable guy with a low to mid-90s fastball with plenty of life and some cutting action on it. And he had a pair of swing and miss uh, breaking ball and off-speed pitch. So with all that and decent enough command, he really rose late in the process that year after that strong year. Uh, had a decent enough start in his debut, 11 starts, um, 366 ERA and 110 whip in low A the year he was drafted. The next year, uh, 2017 this is now, because he was drafted in 2016, he made 25 starts in high A, all in the Carolina League, 20 of them in Wilmington, the next five in um, the White Sox affiliate after the trade. But he had a pretty high whip in the one point low 1.4s, despite pitching with a fairly decent DRA. Uh, one thing to note there, uh, while in Wilmington with those first 20 starts, he had a 3.8 walk rate per nine, which was down to just 1.6. So he more than cut that rate in half over those final five starts. Sure, it's a short sample size, but 
it's possible that the new organization had him change something. Uh, it's really hard to say since it's just five starts and those are the last five starts, which I'll get into more. Uh, one other note, instead of being up to 95 here, he was only reportedly up to 92 that year, but it was still noted that he still had some remaining projection left on the body, so it shouldn't have been much of an issue to see him getting back up to 95 and potentially a little bit above that in the future. So 2018, the expectation was for him to start in double A, but it never actually happened. He ended up missing the entire season with pain in his arm, and that would eventually require a Tommy John that kept him out all of 2019. Uh, 2020 didn't happen, so yeah, he hasn't pitched since uh, 2017 at this point. Uh, weird profile if you think about it. I mean, this is a one-year college starter who put up just ridiculous, ridiculous numbers. Has at least what we saw three years ago, pre-injury, pre-projection, low to mid 90s fastball uh plus change uh swing and miss curveball even if it's not quite plus decent to slightly fringy command and he just profiles as a potential number four or number five starter if he's where you like him to be when you consider the layoff and the injury and the fact he is when you this season starts will already be 26 years old at the end of May. So it's just a weird profile, but it's basically a free shot at an arm. So uh, it's an interesting pick. The next pick was Jalen Miller, a second baseman from the Giants organization, uh, originally from Sandy Springs Riverwood High School. He was actually my sixth-rated shortstop in the 2015 class. And all five of the guys I would have bet a million dollars that you still had that list from 2015, by the way. Oh, I did. I I almost going to be talked about in my article. The guys that I had him behind were Dansby Bregman, Brendan Rodgers, Kevin Newman, and Richie Martin, all of whom have played in the big leagues. So it's just ahead of uh, future top five pick Jonathan India the Reds um but Miller when he was drafted the profile on him was that he was very very toolsy but he he was a little raw with the bat more of a slightly glove first at that moment player even though there was some speculation on if he could handle shortstop or if he needed to end up moving off of shortstop to second base or even potentially the outfield he's played almost exclusively second base, at least in the most recent years. He did play a little bit of shortstop earlier in his career. Uh, obviously, he's been around since 2015, so it's been a couple of years of basically second base only for him. Um, he went to the Arizona League and had a sub-600 OPS that year, no homers, just the horrible line. But obviously, high school kid, pro ball, you, you write that off. Next year, he started in Low A, Augusta, which obviously our new affiliate. Um, another sub-600 OPS, five homers that year, 20 doubles. Nothing really all that spectacular. Um, the very next year, they decided to push him, now this is going to be 2017, to High A, the offense-friendly Cal League, 
And the numbers stayed similarly unimpressive. Uh, the OPS did rise above 600, uh, 25 doubles, six homers, um, but nothing really that good. So he ended up having to repeat in 2018. And he had a bit of a breakout in 2018 in the repeat. Now, obviously, these numbers are going to be California legated, but 276, 321, 434, 35 doubles, 2 triples, 14 homers, and 11 steals. And he also had the best um, best year of his career there. So they push him up the next year to double-A, where he struggled down to 216, 287, 332. But the power showed that it wasn't just a California League product because he had 18 doubles, 3 triples, 11 homers to go with 27 steals. But he also posted the, by far the highest walk rate of his career with 49 walks with 27 being his previous career high. So, And he actually struck out less than he did the year before despite the lesser numbers. So overall... The power grew in 2018, showed back up in 2019, and the plate discipline on him improved in 2019. So he's always had tools. He's always had a raw hit tool, interesting power-speed combination, and he might have finally been starting to put it all together. He went to the Arizona Fault League after the 2019 season, and... He did horrendous there, 6-for-32 with a double and a home run in nine games, but just one walk to 14 strikeouts. So it's kind of hard to know where he is right now. He's going to be 24 in a couple of weeks from today. So at this point, you wonder what he's going to be. Maybe the change in organization, change in coaching, change in scenery can help him actually get a little bit of something out of that hit tool because everything's there for him to be a player if he can actually hit the ball enough. And then the third guy is a guy I really liked out of high school, Jacob Pearson, a uh, third-round pick by the Angels out of Louisiana High School in 2017. He was, at the time, an excellent pure hitter with really emerging power that year, his draft year, and a plus runner. But he, at that time, had a labrum injury um, in his recent past, and it may have had some effect on his future. And despite his excellent reputation for his hit tool, he is just not really hit in the pros, and he's missed some time. Um, that labrum injury has been a factor in his career to an extent. Uh, he started out and had a sub-600 OPS in the Arizona League, but obviously high schooler going to pro ball, so you write that off. The very next year, the Angels traded him to the Twins for international slot money, which might not sound like much, but it was money marked for Shohei Otani, so it came at a bit of a premium, which was he wasn't a throw-in just given for international money. He was actually a fairly good prospect given for that international money at that time. Uh, 2018 is his first year with the Angels, 270, uh, 237, 312, 376 with 12 doubles and 7 homers. So he didn't really do all that much. He only played 78 games because of the injuries. Um, 2019, he ended up 
starting back in low A yet again where he was in 2018. Didn't really do much, but then he got promoted to high A for his final 35 games of 2019 and went to the pitcher-friendly Florida State League where he hit a career-best 263, 313, 393 with nine doubles and a homer along with seven steals which gave him 19 on the year with a very respectable strikeout-to-walk ratio there. So the speed's there, the power's there, the potential to hit has always been there. Maybe that year off and a change in scenery and organization is what it takes for him. He's always been a guy I liked and has the profile. He's also the older brother of a kid who's going to be drafted fairly high out of high school in the 2021 draft who has a very similar profile to him. So you have to assume that that family's been working pretty hard together over the last year when there hasn't really been much to go on because I've been following his brother closely for the last couple months. I just saw him up in Boston a couple months ago at this point. So uh, I'm just assuming that they've been putting in a lot of work together and hopefully one of these three guys is able to turn a corner in a new organization because they all have upside. If you wonder why we keep Matt Powers around, it's because he can summon the information on three guys picked it in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft about as quickly as the names were called out, and that's pretty much how we were given the information earlier today. So we hope this is uh, very helpful for you. Uh, we really appreciate all the work, Matt, seriously. Um, I do want to throw it to Garav first, then Garrett. Uh, Garav, any, any particular thoughts you want to share on the three guys the, the Braves took in the, the minor league portion before we kind of wrap things up? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, AJ Puckett, you know, he's easy to root for. He's been through a lot in his life. Uh, in high school, he got into like a fight, uh, with, with, a, with some friends in a car, ended up getting hit in the head, in a coma for three days, spent time in the hospital for like two weeks. And then, like Matt said, uh, blew out his elbow. He hasn't pitched in like two years. Super easy guy to root for, uh, spots his fastball really well, has a, a probably his best pitch as a change up. And then who knows what his curveball is like and actually what any of his pitches are like. Uh, still, so there's a promising arm uh, if he can stay healthy. Uh, Jalen Miller, I actually had the Braves. I actually mocked him to the Braves in the competitive balance pick uh, back in 2015. Uh, that was the one that eventually was actually used on A.J. Minter. So I think that was all ultimately the right move by the Braves. Uh, but Miller, like like Matt said, Super toolsy, just hasn't put it together. Um, you know, more of like an organizational filler, probably in like Mississippi. Uh, but if everything can come together, you know, you have a seriously promising player. Uh, Jacob Pearson, you know, there's just not much there uh, anymore. Like, hopefully, like Matt said, he was highly touted in high school, but like this just hasn't really done anything, hasn't really flashed anything. Uh, so probably likely also just organizational filler, but there's some fun names. Uh, maybe the Braves can turn AJ Puckett, keep him healthy and change some things about Jalen Miller and get those guys careers going. Garrett, what about you, man? Yeah. So I'm going to take a couple of looks, you know, I, I can't really talk, you know, you can't re- it's hard to look too much with Puckett cause it's just been so long. You know, actually, well, hold on. 
Let me get back to my mic. I have my mic in a weird spot. Um, you know, a guy like Puckett, you know, I like guys with good change-ups. Teaching a guy a change-up when he doesn't have a feel for it can be a difficult thing. And seeing a guy come in who already has a developed change-up, it's very easy to – I wouldn't say it's very easy, but it's a lot easier to tweak breaking balls and grips and get a guy to throw a good breaking ball. A lot of guys eventually figure out a breaking ball, whereas – Change-ups can be a little more difficult to put together, and so it's nice that he has that, and it will help for a guy that's older to be able to progress quicker if he already has that change-up to go to. Um, looking at Jalen Miller, you know, one of the things you notice with his profile this year is that he, you know, all I mean, all of his peripherals look good. He has good batted ball numbers, all of that. It just seems like you know he had some batted ball, some poor batted ball luck at 251, but and you know, in general, he, you know, he's probably, he's not an average level hitter. He probably never will be, but I don't think he was nearly as bad as he looked last year. And, you know, all around, all around, he's my favorite player. And if he does, the Braves have something that they see and they bring him in and can get him hitting. I mean, he's definitely the guy, he's definitely a guy that if he hits, he can be a solid piece for the team. And I, I, I like having him in a the system. Pearson's another one interesting to me statistically because if you look at him, you look at his batted ball numbers, and he has very, very low line drive rates, high ground ball, kind of middling, high fly balls, middling ground balls. And so for a guy like that, you know, he has very low, he has very low home run to fly ball ratios right now. He's not hitting the ball balls out. And some of that is league. It's hard to, hit balls out in the Florida State League and some of it could be like um Matt was saying with his labrum and so a guy like that you want to kind of it's kind of some of the issue that Austin Riley had this year he was hitting balls straight up or straight into the ground he's not getting enough kind of in the sweet spot where you're getting those uh high percentage hits and so you kind of want to it's easier said than done but kind of if you can straighten that guy out because he can hit he's had he had really low strikeout rates a couple years ago. He's always been able to take walks. If you can straighten that guy out and get him hitting more line drives and hitting balls harder, that's a guy, I mean, that can hit. He hit lat, he hit in the Florida State League and, you know, maybe he hits for power. Probably not at this stage. You never really know. But I mean, I do, I have to say that I like all players, all three players in terms of, you know, if you get a guy in the minor league part of the draft that could legitimately be a starting caliber piece. I mean, that's a great pickup. And all three players, if it comes together for them, do have that potential. It's in situations like this, you know, with the Rule 5 draft, I like the approach of go big. Try to get a guy that if he hits, he's going to be a great player. If, you know, 99% of the time you're not going to get a guy, but eventually you're going to find a guy that can really contribute to your team. And I like that approach that they had this year and I really think all three players fit that bill really well yeah I agree with that just in the general prospect of pick guys if you're gonna if you're gonna be creative in the minor league portion of the rule five draft pick guys that actually have a chance of being something um rather than just passing on the pick and I think that the Braves did well for themselves that they, they did they get the the like a Another reliever that I would expect for the major league portion, no. But I don't think that they necessarily needed one. Um, the bullpen was already kind of you know figuring out which guys need to be cut um, just to kind of make room for you know returning guys and all 
all that other stuff. I mean, the, the, the bullpen's a pretty tough place to break in right now. And there's obviously, once you get past the bullpen, it's really tough to find spots for, on the 40-man roster for these guys that were eligible in the Rule 5 draft. There were a few interesting guys this year, but no one that like really stuck out as, wow, they, you know, I, they, they need to, they belong on a 40-man roster somewhere. Um, I also think it's an interesting way for them to fill out kind of the middle parts of the organization when you factor in the fact that they've had, they've made cuts and they also were having less players in the forms of draft picks and international free agents to fill out roster spots. This is kind of an interesting way to fill their rosters out with interesting guys rather than just, you know, minor league free agents, which I mean, they're, they're going to sign more minor league free agents anyway, but this is something that could, I, we could feasibly see happening going forward is that they are continuing to be active in like the minor league portions of the rule five until they get into the IFA period until like we get more draft picks filling out roster spots, you know, for the next couple of years, I could see them being active in the minor league portion just to kind of get some interesting guys. Um, I, I think that Miller is my favorite of the, of the three picks just because I think that there's some real athletic ability there and there's a lot of tools. Uh, and we were talking about this online because the first time that Garav Garrett and I really met up and talked for any appreciable amount of time was in, uh, April 2016 to watch the opening series where we had, you know, Soroka and Acuna and Austin Riley was on that Rome team. We really, uh, there's a lot of guys to watch on that team. Uh, if you want to look, take a look back, look at that opening series, uh, against, uh, uh, against Augusta that, and the reason why I mention it is because Jalen Miller played in that series and was very good against that Rome team, which was a very good Rome team. Uh, fun fact, Mike Soroka started opening day. He gave up four hits over four innings while striking out seven batters. Two of those hits were given up to Jalen Miller. So, again, you know, a little bit of a connection. It's a fun one. And he certainly showed out pretty well for the first week, two weeks of that season for that Augusta team. Um, you know, Lucius Fox was the guy that kind of caught our eyes at that during that series a little bit more, but more for a loud batting practice than anything he necessarily did on the field. Um, but there's some real athletic ability there. And is there a high chance that any of these guys – end up being players in the major league level? No, there's not a high chance, but there's real ability. There's real talent there. And I think that that's something that we've all tried to point out here is that, you know, we like what these guys could potentially be. Are, we're not, I don't want to get hung up too much on kind of these guys being selected and having, if they get returned or anything like that, because I don't think that's fair. I think that, the, you know, rule five picks are just so often returned or so often end up being nothing that when you go to the minor league portion and you actually try to like get something with some high value like that potentially high value you know just go for it and it's not it, it costs you so little to actually try and it's good to see the Braves actually trying to fill up their roster that way so that's all we've got for this episode guys I promise uh coming up we are in the process of working on our top 30 uh prospect lists that is going to become the list is going to be rolling out around the time of like the end of the year beginning of next year that's generally when we roll that out but we're already in the process of getting the list compiled composited and then we're going to get all those uh, entries written we're going to try to maybe get some video and stuff embedded into all those articles and all that jazz but um at least you know video from 2019 since we won't have much to say about 2020 but um but we're going to try to get that all put together. We're going to do a preview show of that, kind of what our thought process was for each of us making the sh- making our lists. Then we're going to do a kind of a recap of the list and kind of how it turned out and what we liked and you know what we see we could see changing. Uh, we're also thinking about doing that retrospective show that I talked about at the beginning of the show about the rebuild um, and you know kind of what we think has gone right and wrong and what we think the path is, you know, path forward is. But 
we just want to say thank you to all of you. Uh, we appreciate the patience. This has been a tough year on us. It's been weird not having minor league baseball, and it's something that means a lot to all of us. Um, I've been doing this, you know, I've been doing this since 2015, you know, running recaps and being involved in minor league baseball, and that there's no minor league baseball to, you know, talk about and you know, really you know, dig into the stories of a of, of a season and a guy's development has sucked. It really has, and I don't necessarily want to ever do that again. Um, but we're still here. And we're going to be generating some content for you guys over the off season. And you know, based on what we're seeing right now, it looks like there's going to be games happening. Uh, how much access there's going to be uh, for us, like actually at live games, very much remain to be seen with an, a pandemic raging around all of us. Uh, hopefully that that you know we find we make some more progress as spring approaches there. But we'll at least have some baseball to talk about, and I think that's going to be a good thing. I feel pretty strongly that that's going to happen. But we want to say thank you to all of our listeners for downloading the Talking Chop podcast, for coming to the site. Uh, it's been a t- challenging year for all of us, but hopefully we can get, get back to at least some semblance of normalcy in 2021 and talking about the, the prospects that we know and love, uh, as well as some new guys as well. But with all that said, thank you so much, and until next time, we'll see you on the road. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.